0: Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, Powered by 0 We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, Powered by Zero. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. My name's Dan Martin. I'm head of content at Enterprise Nation, and this week I'm delighted to say we're joined by the founder. Oh, certainly, you're not the founder, are you? <laughs> for a business that's almost three hundred years old, you're definitely not the founder. Um, Henry Deakin from Deakin and Francis. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. If we'd had the founder in the room, that would have been interesting. <laughs> um, so, as I said, you run a business that's almost how old is it now? Two
1: hundred and thirty-three years old this year. Yeah, seventeen eighty-six. We. Opened and moved into our factory in Birmingham.
0: Wow. Take us back. Obviously, you weren't there. But how did the business happen right at the start? It's, it's
1: limited to how much we know from right at the start. But what we do know is that we, we bought the building in 1786. And when we bought it, I think we owned about 40 acres of Birmingham around it, which is now Birmingham City Centre. And we were traditionally silversmiths, so manufacturing teapots, candelabra, silver trays, silver salvers. And the building, the, the company, sorry, has, has slowly evolved into the brand it is today.
0: Mm, that is amazing. So at what point did you take it on? Because you're the se- seventh, seventh generation? Seventh, yeah, seventh generation. generation. Mm-hmm. I started probably about 12 years ago now. I was working at, I
1: did, I did my Gemological Institute of America degree, moved out to New York to work for Asprey's, and then took a pay cut and moved to Birmingham, which <laughs> is quite, a, quite an extraordinary <laughs> choice. Yes. Um, so I took over about 10, 10 to 15 years ago and that, that's that stage my father was still in the business and he retired about five years later leaving the business to my brother and myself who have been running it ever since
0: yeah that's amazing so you said you're still in the same building and I believe is it James Watts was also based in that building at it was it was his country house
1: we believe when 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 we bought it so there's still the old fireplace and the Lunar Society used to meet once a month. So Matthew Bolton and James Watts would meet in, uh, in what is now our boardroom and our showroom. And I think they used to smoke opium and talk about how they're going to change the world and leave.
0: Wow. <laughs> I assume it's not the same anymore. Very different now. <laughs> yes, exactly. There are no
1: ashtrays in the building. <laughs>
0: Did you always intend because obviously this was a massive part of your family did you always intend to join the business was it always sort of accepted that you would or uh, it, it, we were never pushed into
1: it but either either myself or my brother it was a, just it was there if we wanted it and if we shared interest dad would tell us more about it but we were never sort of told you will be going into it there was no pressure and in fact dad said if it doesn't work for you don't work for it he was very keen that we didn't just go into it because it was there um, I was pretty passionate about being a, a JCB digger driver for quite a long time and my right. brother James was very passionate about being a carpenter um, and he is, is, does still do carpentry in his spare time and I think dad pointed out that carpentry and metal work are pretty similar apart from if you make a mistake you can add a bit more metal whereas with carpentry you can't yeah. so, so we both joined it on our own backs and on our own merits but it was um it's a great honour to be able to join a family business of, of
0: that age. Growing up, was it was it a big part of the family? Or did you not really Yeah, no, absolutely it was. I mean it's
1: I think with any family business or any business that has, has your name on the business, it there's a very blurred line between work and home because you are you're part of the business, it's part of you. And and for anyone who runs a their own business or a family business, that it, it doesn't stop at five o'clock in, in the evening, it doesn't start at nine o'clock in the morning. It's it is a continual thing. So Growing up as a as a young young child, I'd, I'd go to trade shows with my father. I'd help out at I say help out. I would have been an absolute pain to him, but I would have been <laughs> at trade shows and um, traveling with him. And as we got older, become more and more useful, and and going to things like the Basel Fair or the Las Vegas Fair to to show the company off, and and so it's it's always been part of it. Um, quite often we try and tag a holiday onto the end of it. So that, so what, what, well, you've gone all the way to Vegas. It's a shame not to see the Grand Canyon. Very but, true. But it was no. It's always been part of the part of the business. Um, the
0: family has always been part of the business, and the business has always been part of the family. Mm. But what about the way? Because it's obviously cufflinks is what you specialize in. The techniques that is it still similar techniques that are used today compared to. Yeah, a years ago. Uh,
1: absolutely. The, the about the only thing that hasn't changed in the business is the, the the production methods and the techniques and the machinery. A lot of the machinery we're using today, we've been using for well over a hundred years because we honestly believe that that is the right way to make jewelry. It's not a, a matter of us not wanting to invest into new machinery. It it is the right way. We think we don't want to cut corners. We're not trying to make a lighter product or carve out the backs. We want to make the jewellery that will last forever, whether it's cufflinks or money clips or earrings or necklaces, rings. Whatever we're making, we want to make it to the best of our ability. And we believe that the artisan, handcrafted way is is the right way.
0: Hmm. Has the target customer changed over the years? Because, you know, your premium product, your high-end product, has that always been the...
1: That's always been our, our market. What's interesting now is the world has become a much smaller place so traditionally we were known as the brand behind the brand so we were manufacturing for i don't think i can say names but the but the highest high-end retailers throughout the world mm. and now we have our website our storefront in london our flagship store um you can now buy our product under our name in fact we're trying to stop doing uh manufacturing for other people white label because actually we want to promote Deacon of France's and we think by having the Deacon of France's name, it is actually adding value to the product. It's not just another item bought in with somebody putting their name in. It is an Artisan best best of British product. So in answer to your question, we now know who the customers are, whereas before we were just supplying the shops and never meeting the end customer. But there is no rhyme or reason as to who our customers are. It it literally ranges from royalty to rock star to anybody walking off of the street
0: Who've seen the product and, and would like a, a, a decent pair of cufflinks. So you mentioned your London store, that was obviously a big, that's a massive change. You've opened a flagship store in, you know, in the centre of London, Piccadilly Arcade isn't it? Piccadilly Arcade, yeah. yeah. So why did you decide it was right to do that? I've always wanted a shop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I generally have always wanted a shop and I've always wanted a shop in that area. And I honestly believe that uh, Deacon and Francis deserved To have their name in lights and and it's right that 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 it has a flagship shop i never thought that the shop would be um, a profitable shop or it's not there to make money it's really there as a marketing so that customers can come and see it and experience the depth and range of products that we have because our current retailers and and i'm not knocking our retailers but they can only have a limited amount they'll only have a few feet of cabinets that they could sort of use for cufflinks because they'll have watches and rings and everything else whereas we had the most phenomenal collection in the world. And it wasn't on display, so it's really as a a showpiece and to use as a London office for myself. Thankfully, the shop has done incredibly well and we're delighted with the results of it as it stands. I, I mean, as I say, I wasn't opening it as a sales tool, but it's become my number one customer and did within three months of opening it.
0: Really? Wow. What what market, so so that's interesting. You saw it as a showroom and people are buying stuff. So what marketing did you do? Did you do any marketing? Say the shops here, or did you just open? Absolutely and... no marketing. Our budget, ah. we
1: spent all our budget opening On shop. shop yeah.
0: I had no no idea how expensive it was opening a shop. <laughs> And that's quite a premium location as well, it's not, it, Yeah, the rent is not <laughs> ideal there, but
1: to be honest, when I was talking to the board of directors about it, who gave me a lot of pushback against it, uh, we, we needed this flagship shop and it needed to be in the right location. So for half the rent, I could have been down a back alley somewhere near it and it would have been a complete waste of time. So it had to be in the right location. It, it's such a wonderful place to be, Piccadilly Arcade. It's so historic. It fits in so well with the brand.
0: That, um,
1: that, that, yeah, that, that's where it had to be. And, and as I say, thankfully, it's been a, a success.
0: Are you finding that regular customers now know you, that you're there are coming to see them, or are you getting more people just stumble across it?
1: There's literally no rhyme or reason right. as to who comes into that shop. Right. Um, it, we are getting regular customers back. We're getting customers that have known us for many years who are delighted to see the collection and, and, and are returning. Um, we have a lot of recommendations. We have a lot of recommendations from... High-end tailors in the area saying if you want cufflinks these are the best guys which is incredibly kind of them um as for the customers that come in i am in fact my wife pointed out recently i'm the least observant person when it comes to meeting people and i am terrible with faces and i spent 45 minutes just before christmas with possibly one of the most high-profile rock stars of the world, and I had no idea who this guy was. <laughs> he didn't look like he'd be buying a pair of cufflinks, and it, right. then afterwards
0: it was pointed out as to who this chap was, and he right. certainly could have been right. okay. buying as many as he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so you find that those kind of people are coming in. I guess they, they like it because there's not many places for them to go to buy that kind of stuff physically, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think there's a certain
0: element of our
1: customers' um, aren't treated as customers as i say it is a shop and obviously you can buy from there but actually it's really an experience and i think retail now it's all about experience gone are the days of people just buying things they can buy things online they can do whatever they like now people want the experience and i think people feel part of deacon and francis they 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 buy into the history and they uh, i mean i really enjoy meeting the customers and i think they enjoy hearing about the, the the factory and hearing about deacon and francis um and uh, what I find slightly extraordinary and it's very nice is um, that customers will often thank us, will come back and thank us afterwards, and we'll come and give one of the sales guys or girls a, a bottle of champagne saying, we've, we've really enjoyed our morning, which... For me, I find quite extraordinary because I would never think if I bought something expensive to go and buy a bottle of champagne and give it to the salesperson. No. But I think people really feel connected to the company and it's it's so unique and it's a real family atmosphere that actually that's that's fantastic.
0: I, when I was sort of preparing for this interview, I looked into your, your social media and, you know, Instagram obviously is important. If you think, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, your relatives, obviously Instagram, like what would they think of that now? But I see that you work with influencers. Yeah. And, you know, that is sort of now part of your strategy now. Which I guess is part of the innovation of staying modern. So, do you want to talk a bit about how you do that?
1: Yeah, it, it's not a world that I I particularly know. Mm. Um, but it's we've got a fantastic marketing team on the side, um, both in in house and externally. And the influencer response we've had has been completely mixed. Um, and I think that's with all marketing, it is it is completely mixed. Um, but but it's amazing who follows these in, the 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 influencers. And actually. Previously, I've shied away from it. I don't agree with paying influencers for the sake of doing a, a, an Instagram post. But if they want to come and meet in the shop and talk about it and talk about the company generally, not not as an advert, it gets a much better response. And and the, the Piccadilly
0: Arcade, as an as a arcade, has done a big push towards influencers. Um, and we've had a very good response from it. Really? So you're finding people are buying stuff or coming into the shop as a result of it what's the impact
1: we did a big push recently and i think we had about five or six influencers over a course of eight days and there was a definite spike in sales but it's not from the traditional influencers i think when you're choosing an influencer it's not just about the highest numbers you've got to look into really you know originally one was kept approaching us saying we he thought he'd be perfect for our brand but every picture of him was himself on the beach in a pair of swimming trunks which is Great yeah, if you're selling swimming trunks, yeah. but cufflinks don't really I can't fit in where that. they'd go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, it's, it's, it's the smaller, in my mind, more authentic influencers are the ones that have a,
0: a pack a bigger punch for a company like ours. What other sorts of marketing are you doing? How else do you get, how else do you get the word out there about the business?
1: We do very limited print because it's it's so expensive to do it. We're, we we obviously do our Instagram um, and we and we push push Instagram, Google AdWords um, that that side of marketing. And actually, being out and about is is a great form of marketing. I'm, I'm heading off to uh, Goodwood on Friday, which um, actually I'm really looking forward to. That is definitely not work, but actually it's being out talking about the brand. Is possibly one of the best forms of
0: marketing of, of get, getting getting the family out there rather than sitting in an office in Birmingham. Mm. Are you you and your brother? are You still very much the face of the business publicly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your, you, absolutely, You yeah, Do you yeah, use yeah. that a lot in your marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that? I guess that's important, particularly to a family business like yours, isn't it? I think it's essential, and I think I think the. I mean, I don't know what
1: I'm doing. I'm just playing this <laughs> game, but I, I generally think the public want to see a face to a brand. They want to see if it's a family business. They want to see the family. They want to be connected with the family whereas if you know on a big global brand you can't do that but if people are buying into a family business they, they do want to know the family they do want to feel that they know them and with the use of instagram with facebook with twitter with using our own websites and, and blogs people can actually get to hear about us learn about us we, you know we're, we're just a couple of guys in birmingham but it's but we get up to some quite fun things and i think people enjoy
0: hearing about them yeah exactly And um, what about exporting in terms of international what how how What's your sort of exporting? So we, actually like
1: exporting is big for us. We, we do about 70% is export. Um, we, we actually deal with a lot of export customers from the shop in London. I've got one flying in from New York tomorrow, one of my biggest accounts, to, to spend the day with us there. It's, it's a really key market, and America has always been very strong for us. Uh, we've got representation in America, and I do a big show uh, called Couture, which is the Las Vegas show, which is about eight days without leaving a hotel without going outside so so but it but it actually it has its merits so export for us is huge um we're also getting much bigger in china and that's growing very quickly we're doing the best of british show in about three weeks time my brother will be going out for that it's it it's a big market for us
0: export and that you've mentioned the best of british is particularly a brand like yours do you use you use the britishness a lot i guess do you to the americans
1: We, we don't rubber in their faces. We no. don't wear Union Jack waistcoats no. at trade shows. Although I do have a Union Jack jacket that I've worn too often. But but, but it's it's a sort of a, an unwritten knowledge that people know about Deacon Francis. And and I think they associate it with the best of British. And actually what I'm liking what I'm doing more and more in um in fact my next meeting today is, is meeting another British brand and just talking with them. And if there are things we can do together, because there's some fantastic British brands out there. Um uh, we we did a show called Uomo in Florence a couple of years ago, which is one of the finest menswear shows from jeans to shirts to accessories. And I honestly thought it was about eight years ago. Actually, I honestly thought that we were the last, uh, say, idiots, but people <laughs> manufacturing in England because all you hear about is people getting things manufactured abroad. And we arrived at the show set up. And in front of us was um, a, a guy called Fox Umbrellas, who are made in England. There was a fantastic glove company that was all made in England. There was the tweed company that was all made in England. And we were in this best of British. And you look around, and it's these fantastic artisan British companies still manufacturing in Britain, and it's coming back. Mm. People don't want this, the, the sort of the, the cheap buy, buy buy twice sort of situation. They want things that are going to last and have
0: longevity to them, which is which is fantastic for the british market. Yeah, that is that is really good to hear. You you mentioned a lot of shows, trade shows and uh, that's a a common question we get from enterprise nation members, you know, trade shows, how do I get it right? So what you've done a few, what are your tips for <laughs> for trade shows? Uh, prepare yourself. Yeah. Uh, drink lots of
1: water in advance. <laughs> yes. um, trade shows are exhausting. They are they are draining and exhausting. But it's a fantastic way to see a big market. Um, we have a rule in the company that you can't do a trade show once. If you there's it, your first trade show, you're not going to write any business. It's soul destroying, and you're putting yourself out there. You're putting your wares out there. The buyers come past. They'll be dismissive. They'll be rude. They'll be flippant, <laughs> and and you go home thinking, what's the point? Yeah. But actually, we have to do a trade show three times before we can write it off as a as a trade show. Right. And you just never know. There's no such thing as a waste of time in a trade show. Something always comes of a trade show. Um, I have talked about a lot of trade shows. We are pulling out of most of our trade shows because actually, we have probably too many customers around the world. And I want to reduce my number of customers to um, the better customers who back us up, support us, mm-hmm. and represent us because actually, it wouldn't do my brand any good being too spread out um without being able to focus on the customers properly right, right. but yeah no it's um but, but but be persistent with the trade shows yeah
0: is the look of the stand and stuff is that a sort of thing or is it is it is it more about it's essential yeah. it's all about standing out yeah.
1: because i've been on the other side i've walked around with
0: buyers and
1: it's the same 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 you've got to be different and actually although things like lighting are remarkably expensive at trade shows you can't make your stand light enough. You cannot put enough lights on it. Make it the brightest stand in the hall. Be attractive. Have bright posters on the wall. Don't be sitting down at a desk looking at your mobile phone playing Whenever people play on mobile phones, yeah. <laughs> it, it's such a bad look. We actually we've banned chairs on our trade stands because right. sitting down. If you, as a buyer, if you approach a trade stand and somebody's sitting there on their mobile phone, you think, "Well, you know what? i Yeah, I'll yeah. just keep walking." Yeah. If they're up there and they say good morning and they're charming, and you haven't, you know, you're instantly engaged
0: rather than having to disturb them. Mm. And is it the done thing to contact buyers in advance to say, you know, come and see us, or do you rely on passing by sort of trade? We, we we do contact them,
1: and 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 we used to send out parcels in advance we, we there's the buyers get bombarded for the weeks in advance with leaflets and flyers and this and that so actually just make sure they know where you are make make sure you're contactable put your mobile number on an email if they need to find you make it clear I, I think you'd be mad not to contact people but i wouldn't i wouldn't expect them to turn up for appointments because actually everyone gets tied up with trade shows and you get delayed and, and people don't turn up but you've got to keep in contact with your customers
0: mm. Um, you mentioned you're still in Birmingham. You know, part of the jewellery quarter, it still exists. What is it like being part of that? Is it is it, is it quite a collaborative? Still quite a collaborative place to be. I'm a massive advocate of Birmingham. In fact, yeah. I'm I'm there on Sunday
1: um, for a classic car rally in in, in the jewellery quarter that they're organising. Birmingham has changed. It's a different city. When when I started in the company, well, first of all, when I started in the company, we didn't have a computer. So as a company, we've changed quite wow. a lot. But um, but Birmingham's got better and better. And I, I mean, I lived next door to the factory for five years and it was fine but it wasn't a pleasant place to live now there are fantastic restaurants fantastic bars and i'm not here to promote (laughs) birmingham but it's got so much better it's cleaner it's safer you've got big companies like kpmg moving in it's it's become a really quite a happening place the sad thing about the jewellery quarter is it's not really a jewellery quarter anymore there aren't many um factories left and we're obviously there and we're we're not going anywhere but one of my pet projects is bringing in the artisan best of Birmingham into our building and helping smaller businesses that need a bit of a helping hand or 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 actually just need a sort of a a nest an area to work from and we've moved in some fabulous um one two three men bands into the factory who 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 are real asset
0: to to the area Mm. oh that's a great idea Mm. so are you you're not investing in them that's just more no you them. no it's purely I'm, I'm i'm very lucky or my
1: brother and i are very lucky to, to own the building and it's a big building and it's got a car park and it's secure and it's relatively damp free <laughs> um but it's but, but but we're surrounded by architects and tattoo parlors and restaurants and bars and it's gone are the days of the workshops and actually the sadly the council are getting rid of the workshops in favor of residential and all sorts of things so actually there isn't a, a hub for them um and one of the companies that we've moved in is, is a company called struthers watches and they are they make the most beautiful watches handmade watches i don't know if, if you're aware of
0: yeah so
1: they've moved in in fact they've just doubled their unit they've gone to a much bigger unit. Oh, and it, fantastic. it's 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 guys like that but no certainly not investing if i can help them i'd be delighted to if they have an issue that i can help if i'm there if they want to chat but it's they get on and run themselves independently but but it's really nice to have companies like that in the
0: building. Yeah, definitely. Um, Obviously, I have to ask this question, running a family business, what are your tips for running a business with family members?
1: I think people on the outside look at a family business and go, God, it's so easy as a family business. You just walk in and take over. I think certainly to start with, you've got to work much harder, if not twice as hard to prove it. I was talking to someone else recently about their family business, and they were saying that actually... you get treated much much worse to start with as a family member, not not necessarily by the other team, but by the family itself. People are very honest, and and, and they can get away with saying things to family that you certainly wouldn't get away with saying to a colleague. Um, you've got to try and keep work and home home relationships separately. It's it's really important because you know my brother and I, we our desks are next to each other. You know you're, you're spending a lot of time with, with with family members, so as long as you have your boundaries and you do manage to when you walk away not have to spend the evenings talk about work unless, unless there are issues to talk about but you have to you know keep your family life separate um or family relations separate from the work work side of it mm-hmm. but it's great it's a you know it's, a, it's an honor to work for a family business and it's the lovely thing about something you know a company as small as deacon and francis is if a decision needs to be made james and i can make the decision we don't have to go to a board of directors we don't have to talk to shareholders it's it's us and it's if we decide we want to be selling shoehorns next week which we've actually been remarkably successful with our shoehorns right um you can just get on and do it and you don't need to have permission from from other 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 shareholders so we are lucky in that respect
0: yeah definitely and just finally what what's what's the future another couple of hundred years yeah a good couple of hundred years (laughs)
1: um I was hoping to open a store in New York this year, and actually with everything going on and we're, we're suddenly not here to talk about brexit, but no. <laughs> um, I've decided not to open the store and actually just 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 hold fire for now it, The company's in a really nice little position we've got the flagship store working well, the website's working well, the trade retailers are, are, are doing well and it, and it, and actually those three segments that that's great you know that's uh, we're not we're not here to take over the world. I don't want to be the biggest brand out there. I do want to be the best cufflink makers in the world or the men's accessories of the world. Who
0: knows where the next few years will take us? The last, the last few have been pretty exciting. Exactly. Well, it's such a brilliant business and we hope it's around for hundreds more years. <laughs> um, Henry, thank you for joining us on the Small Business Session. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you. You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company raffi for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.